Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. Well, lately there's been a conflict between Republicans in Florida, including Governor Ron DeSantis and the Walt Disney Company. It started when Disney's CEO spoke out against what critics call the Don't Say Gay Bill as it was moving through the Florida legislature. The bill is called the Parental Rights in Education Bill, and it was signed into law last month by Governor DeSantis. It prohibits classroom instruction related to sexual orientation or gender identity in K through third grade, among other restrictions. Now DeSantis and others are hitting back at what they call woke companies like Disney. State Representative Spencer Roach from North Fort Myers tweeted that he had been talking with other lawmakers about repealing Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District. So today on Tuesday Cafe, we're going to find out what that is and what repeal might mean. Joining us by Zoom this morning is author and environmental writer, Craig Pittman. Welcome so much to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Craig. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, Craig used to write for the Tampa Bay Times. He's now a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. Some of his books are The State You're In, Cattail, Oh, Florida, and The Scent of Scandal. And I, But I invited you to talk about news of 2022. But to do that, we're going to go back in history a bit to the, yes. to the wild and natural central Florida of the 1960s before the arrival of the mouse. Uh, what was it like in the area near the Four Corners area of Orange, Osceola, Lake, and Polk counties back in the early to mid-1960s? It was very soggy. That was all swampland out there. Uh, there, were, there were some people who lived there. There was a nice ranch and uh, a couple of other residential areas, but mostly it was, it was swamp. There, it had been subdivided for development, but the, the place was just too wet for the development to get off the ground. And uh, Walt Disney knew he needed to build an East Coast theme park because all of the customers were coming to Disneyland from the West. So he wanted to, to have something on this coast. And uh, he had already rejected St. Louis and Washington, D.C. He flew over uh, Central Florida on November 22nd, 1963, that fateful day, and looked down and saw that it's all that swampland that was empty of development and also saw that Interstate 4 and the Florida Turnpike would cross near where they were talking about. And he said, okay, this is it. This is the place I want to be. And then they landed and discovered what they'd, what they'd missed that day. Uh, so it, it was a big day for the nation, a big turning point for, for the 60s, but also a pretty big day for Florida that Walt Disney said, we need to build the new place, uh, you know, right there. And they were concerned about, of course, if you if, if Walt Disney came in and openly bought a gigantic piece of land in central Florida in the mid-1960s, um, one of the problems for them would be that it, the, the price would skyrocket. They would, not, yes. they would have to pay through the nose. So what was their kind of solution and, and uh, uh, kind of underneath the radar way of going about this land purchase? Well, Disney contacted his attorney in New York, a guy named Wild Bill Donovan, who got that nickname because he led the CIA's predecessor agency, the Office of Strategic Services during World War II. And Donovan said, let me hook you up with a guy I know in Miami named uh, Hellowell. Uh, And Hellowell was this attorney who had worked with the CIA on the Bay of Pigs. He worked on financing some other secret operations. He had contacts within the mafia uh, and was sort of acting as an intermediary between the CIA and the mob to try and assassinate Fidel. In other words, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he was really into moving in the shadows. And so with Hellowell's help, 
Disney began buying up property using fake corporations. And that way he could disguise the fact that it was Disney buying it. It was, you know, the, the, the Urban Land Institute or something like that. Uh, ironically, you can now see the names of some of those fake companies on businesses along uh, Disney's Main Street, USA. Uh, that, that's sort of an in-joke for the Disney insiders. Our guest is journalist Craig Pittman. He, you may know him from his writing at the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. And one of the books that he's written is Oh, Florida. And so a lot of this chronicle that we're talking about today is in Oh, Florida. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe, and we're kind of talking about the history of how the Walt Disney World Company, the Walt Disney Company got into Central Florida and what the special rules were. And eventually we're going to bring it back to today about how those special rules are being reexamined. So you're telling me that Walt Disney, excuse me, worked with with uh, to buy land on the lowdown with people who are affiliated with Cuban counter-revolutionaries, affiliated with the mafia, drug dealers, the CIA, uh, the predecessor to the CIA. That sounds pretty shady for such a family company. Well, you know, it, it's a typical day in Florida, really, <laughs> when you get right down to it. So, so they, they were assembling the land and what Walt wanted to build there, he knew he needed to build a theme park, but that didn't interest him because he'd already done it once. <clears throat> what he wanted to build was this experimental prototype city of tomorrow or Epcot for short. And he had all the plans kind of drawn up in his mind of what he wanted, but uh, he had cancer and, and died before he could turn it into reality. So his brother stepped in, his brother who was not a dreamer, who had actually been thinking about uh, uh, retiring from the business. But Roy Disney was a very hard-headed businessman and he knew what they needed to build was the theme park to make money first to save the company. And so um, uh, when they when news finally leaked out, an Orlando Sentinel reporter figured out who was piecing together all of this land and broke the story. Um, it sort of caught uh, then-Florida Governor Hayden Burns off guard. They hastily assembled a press conference and uh, Roy did with Roy Disney and Governor Burns and announced that yes, Disney has bought all this land and they're planning to build a big theme park here. And of course, uh, and, and at, at that point they started leveraging the Epcot idea uh, to get cooperation from Florida legislators. Uh, around then is when Claude Kirk, uh, Republican governor was elected. And uh, so Hellowell and uh, the legislators and, Kirk all got together. They 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 assembled all of, everybody in a big theater in Winter Park, and uh, Roy Disney and Hellowell uh, announced that they had something special for him, and they showed a movie clip of Walt talking about this experimental prototype city that he wanted to. Uh, it would be very forward looking and so forth. And uh, you know, yes, they were going to build a theme park. It would be twice as big as Disneyland, but they wanted some special rules set up for for Disney in order to create this city. And uh, then they laid out what the rules were. And uh, the legislators, they were like, in, in o Florida, I compared them to the woodland creatures helping out Cinderella. They did everything they could to give her a ball gown. That's what the legislators were like with, with Disney. In 12 days, they passed all the bills that, that he said he needed. They, they, uh, uh, they gave Disney World basically the power of local government, but with a lot of extras. So uh, this Reedy Creek Improvement District was set up so that they could do their own uh, zoning, their own building inspections, their own ride inspections. They have their own fire department. Uh, they, they, are, they can even build an international airport and nuclear plant if they want to, which is, and, and they are exempt from the Sunshine Law. So it's not like you can go in and go through their records 
there there are they are a private company that is also a governmental entity and they act that way they have bonding authority they they have all of this stuff and it's kind of ironic that um uh carl hyacin sort of called them out on this in his book team rodent which is a very funny but 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 non-fiction look at at disney world and um so for once we've actually got a, an issue where Carl Hyacin and Ron DeSantis appear to be on the same page, which really doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Our guest is Craig Pittman. He is a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. We're talking about uh, really how Disney became part of the Central Florida scene, and we're going to relate it to today very shortly. And um, I'm going to fill in some of the blanks with some of the colorful uh anecdotes that you told about in your book, Oh, Florida, about sure. this, this process. Um, you mentioned that the Orlando, there was an Orlando Sentinel reporter who tipped this off. It was a woman, and do you, yes. the, the uh, headline is kind of crazy <laughs> for how, how, you know, back in the 60s, how you, they would think of making a headline like this. Yeah, the, the headline was something like Girl Reporter Figures Out It's Disney or something like that, which is, you know, she was 45. She was hardly a girl, but that was the that was the terminology back then. But she had figured out that it was Disney that was buying up all this land and actually was on a junket to Disneyland and confronted Walt himself before he died and said, you're buying this property, aren't you? And he, he sputtered out this sort of halfway denial and then started listing the reasons why that would be a really bad place to build a theme park but then, as if he couldn't help himself, he started giving her all the reasons why you could defeat those problems and build one there anyway. And so that's why she ran with the story and said, it's Disney buying up all this land out there. They're building their second theme park in Florida and broke this huge story. And speaking of the Orlando Sentinel, uh, one of Disney's um, uh, close associates tipped off the publisher of the Orlando Sentinel. But what did the Sentinel do when he found out the, the publisher do? The publisher was sworn to secrecy, and so he valued his business contacts more than he did journalism and didn't tell his own reporters. So that, to me, that makes the, the one uh, reporter's uh, achievement that much better, that she actually managed to figure this out without the help of any inside tips. She just saw the land being assembled. She knew Disney was probably behind it, and she confronted him in person and, and got this big scoop. Our guest is Craig Pittman. He used to write for the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. Some of his books are The State You're In, Cattail, The Scent of Scandal, and Oh, Florida, which is where a lot of this story uh, is written about in. Um, so you mentioned earlier that most of the land that Disney ended up buying was swampland. Yes. And so us Floridians, we know that swampland is a lot of cypress trees, a lot of black water uh, from the tannins in those cypress trees and other plants. Uh, how did Disney feel, Walt Disney feel about the cypress trees and the dark water that covered much of the land he owned? Well, he, he brought in a, a retired U.S. Army Corps of Engineers general uh, named Joe Potter and basically said, make it look pretty. Uh, Potter came up with ways to drain the land that involved uh, uh, 12 feet of fill dirt that would raise it, raise the property up and give them room for the utility tunnels underneath the park that the cast members used to get from one place to another and for costume changes. Uh, the, the drainage canals and so forth are disguised as meandering rivers. Uh, and uh, the, the, you know, you don't ever see the, the pumps or anything actually functioning. Uh, and interestingly, um, Walt at one point told, uh, told his engineers, I, I don't like that brown water. I want to see it blue. And they said, "If you can, I have it blue." And they said, "If, if you're willing to spend enough money, we can make it whatever color you want, Mister Disney." 
Uh, how was it engineered? He took a, you, you mentioned some of the raising of the the land underneath the Magic Kingdom, and, but a lot of this water had to be drained with canals and so forth. Um, yes. Uh, how how much of the this area is still natural, and how much has it, has been engineered? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, some of it is buffer land because that that was the other thing that appealed to Walt is that he can he really hated that in California Disneyland had attracted so much what he considered to be cheap tacky. Uh, t-shirt shops and stuff like that that bumped right up against the park. So he wanted a buffer around Disney World. And so uh, they bought something like 27,000 acres, I think, initially. And so some of that was left natural as a way to absorb some of the some of the water that was being shunted off the, the main park areas, but also to give them a buffer from all of the, the subsequent development and other theme parks that would come along. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's kind of ironic. It's such an artificial environment now within the parts. Uh, I, I haven't been there in quite a while. My kids are grown now, but the last time I was there, a squirrel actually came out and was, you know, picking up, uh, popcorn that people had, had dropped and peanuts and a crowd of tourists gathered around and took pictures of the squirrel because it was something natural. They weren't used to seeing at Disney World. <laughs> You alluded earlier to this vision that Walt had uh, before he died of this experimental prototype community of tomorrow uh, where actual there would be residents living in this city, not like the Epcot we know today, which is uh, just a theme park, really, but uh, where residents would live and it would be futuristic. But there was this big problem that advisors warned about, about city residents, that they might want actually want a say in governing their city so what was walt's Walt's response walt just wrote a big red no on the documents wherever they they mentioned voters because he did not want to give up any control to and so uh ultimately he he was saying the only people that would live in there would be company executives and not actual citizens and there are two uh two actual cities within disney world um uh and they are completely occupied by people who are employed by Disney World. Uh, and the way that it's set up is how many votes you get is based on how much land there is that you own. And of course, Disney World owns all the land, so Disney World gets all the votes. Ultimately, uh, Disney did build a, a city, an actual city there called Celebration, but it wasn't a city of tomorrow. It was more like the small town of yesterday uh, where it's got you know all these tin roof wooden houses and so forth. It's, it's clearly modeled on Seaside, the little town up in the Florida Panhandle where they filmed the Truman Show. Um, and uh, even there, though, people have kind of struggled with the idea of living in this town with very human issues and human problems, you know, but it's built by Disney. Uh, Celebration High School actually has more homeless students than any other high school in America. Uh, and there's a, a really good book about that by uh, Andrew Ross called Sunbelt Blues. I highly recommend that. There's also a film called The Florida Project, which kind of talks yes. about uh, how, how there's so much poverty around Walt Disney World, in, in part because of the gigantic number of low-wage jobs that, that, mm-hmm. that are associated with it. Our guest yes. is Craig Pittman. He was the writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. He's written books, including Oh, Florida, which we're talking about in part today. And you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe on 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. It's 1021 in the morning. 
And uh, later on in the show, after I let Craig off the line, we're going to take your phone call. So if you'd like to call in at 813-239-9663, you can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. So all this, Craig, leads up to, as you mentioned, the Florida legislature and Governor Kirk mm-hmm. signing this this bill that instituted the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And you outlined how... This district was it's so powerful. it's so uh, isolated and so so independent from any other jurisdiction. It's really its own government. Walt Disney World is essentially its own government, which means it can pretty much do whatever it wants from from development to environmental things to um, where where roads are built and so on. Um, and one lawmaker later on who had who had passed this helped pass this bill uh, said he hadn't read the Reedy Creek bill and he regarded it as one of the worst things that ever happened in Florida because it gave Disney too many powers yeah and and there was some there was some buyer's regret there and I think that was partly because Disney had lots of power within its own borders and no responsibility for the things that happened outside its borders so uh Disney could reap the benefits of so many tourists coming to Florida, didn't have to worry about what the impact that would have on the surrounding communities and surrounding areas where there was lots of traffic snarls, uh, lots of drainage problems, uh, all the things that went along with this massive development suddenly springing up in central Florida. And instead, Orlando and Orange County and all the other communities there had to figure out a way to deal with that. And so if you repeal the Reedy Creek Improvement District bill, so that Disney no longer has that power, a lot of that will go to the local governments who are very ill-equipped to suddenly deal with this huge, huge development that would be just sort of handed to them. Like, here, you do, you know, you take it, you figure out what to do with this hot potato. Um, I have not seen any reporters yet talk to anyone from Orlando city government, from Orange County government, to talk to them about what would happen if the Reedy Creek bill were repealed. I don't think it's a serious threat. I think it's it's more of an idle threat. You know, I heard people talking about, oh, we'll repeal their patents too. Well, you, you can't do that. That's <laughs> it's just we'll repeal their trademarks. Yeah, that's not that's not going to happen. That's not legal. But it's a it's a lot of saber rattling, and it's kind of interesting to me that um, you know Disney has Disney is the state's largest employer and makes a tremendous number of campaign contributions to politicians, including every single sponsor of the Don't Say Gay bill that they then turned around to oppose. Um, in, and it's given quite a lot of money to the Ron DeSantis campaign. Uh, and also, although uh, the governor has been feuding very openly with Disney and sneering at him and calling him woke and, and not just signing the Don't Say Gay bill, but also signing the anti-woke bill that says you can't have diversity training and makes white people feel uncomfortable, he has yet to return any of the money that they gave him. Our guest is Craig Pittman. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe on WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. So, yeah, that's why we went into all this history about how Disney got here and what that Reedy Creek bill is, because it, there has been talk in the last couple of weeks about potentially repealing that. And because of um, Republicans are saying that because Disney... Because of how Disney has reacted to Florida legislation, let me just remind people, if they haven't been hearing in the last few weeks, Disney employees were upset at the company not taking a strong enough stand about the Don't Say Gay bill. They walked out last month all over the country at Disney facilities. 
over Florida's parental rights and education bill. And then the Walt Disney Company issued a statement last week that said it would help to repeal that bill as Governor DeSantis signed it into law. And so that has made the governor and some other Republicans in the state really upset. Let me play a little bit of uh, sound from from the governor. We have a few clips to play, very short clips to play in the next few minutes. But let me just, here's one of the things that Governor DeSantis has said about Disney. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. Disney has all these special perks. Should you retaliate against them for them coming out and demagoguing this bill? I don't believe you, quote, retaliate, but I think what I would say is as a matter of first principle, I don't support special privileges in law. Well, that's the governor saying he doesn't support special privileges. One bill that we're going to talk about is a bill that was signed by Governor DeSantis that did have special privileges. Um, and uh, he kind well, of his made- own staff helped to write it. Exactly. They, they helped to get these special, the special carve out for Disney in this tech bill. You know, the governor had sort of picked a fight with Facebook and Twitter and social, other social media after they banned uh, Trump and other folks from it for making false statements repeatedly. And so they came up with this bill to allegedly crack down on big tech, but it, there was a carve out for any company that owns a theme park. Hmm. Hmm, gee, who in Florida could that cover? Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and now here DeSantis is slamming that same carve out that his own staff set up. So, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the that's that's what leads a lot of people to think that he's just posturing here. He's the one doing the demagoguing on this issue. And we know about that because the Tampa Bay Times did a report about that this week. Yes. And also um, DeSantis at the time said he considered vetoing it because of that carve out because it, it took um, – to carved out an exception for some companies like th- that own theme parks, but not for others. But he did sign the bill. And as you pointed out earlier, he's gotten about $100,000 in campaign contributions in recent years from Disney. That bill, by the way, a federal judge has is currently blocking it in Tallahassee. Um, yes. Let's hear a little bit more about um, why Ron DeSantis says he's upset at the Disney company. That they view their programming as a way to inject a lot of these topics into programming for very young kids. And I think I can tell you as a parent of young kids, that is not what I want to be seeing. Um, them talking about pushing an agenda, an ideological agenda. Well, Craig, um, is Disney pushing an ideological agenda and harming kids? I mean, that sounds like that's what the governor is saying. Um, well, uh, I think you'd have to ask all the parents who've been taking their kids to Disney World all this time if they've seen their kids somehow uh, being ideologically uh, <laughs> uh, brainwashed to do anything other than buy more Disney products. I think that's <laughs> Disney's biggest concern right there and not, you know, human sexuality or, uh, you know, political ideology or anything like that. But basically, they, would, they just want you to buy more Disney products spend more on Star Wars and Marvel and all the other things that they own. I mean, you know, they're, they're, the subtitle of Carl Hyacinth's book, Team Rodent, was How Disney Conquers the World. That's what they're doing. They, you know, they, they are trying to lock up all your money. The rest of the stuff they don't really care about. You're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. My guest is Craig Pittman. He was an environmental writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. He's the author of several books. We're talking about a section here of O Florida that he's where he talked about the history of Walt Disney World in Central Florida. Uh, and so there, we've talked mainly about two special exemptions that Disney gets. One is the gigantic one, the Reedy Creek 
bill. Yes. And you've talked about the problems already of that actually getting repealed. So maybe that's not honestly on the table. I mean, people can bluster about it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. But what it, is there a chance that maybe in the next legislative session or even in a special session before then that the legislature might repeal this this social media bill that has the exemption, this this one exemption for theme parks? Is that something that might come to the table? Well, since it's been blocked by a federal judge, would repealing that section of the bill really have any effect? Uh, probably not. So given the do-nothing <laughs> nature of our current Florida legislature that prioritizes culture wars over actually helping people with, you know, the property insurance crisis and the car insurance crisis and, and uh, Surfside collapse crisis. Uh, yeah, they probably would do that. They'd probably rather do that than do anything that actually, you know, help stop the manatee die off or anything like that. The big symbolic actions versus actually helping people. That's, that's sort of the hallmark of our current Florida legislature. And I have one last short clip of Governor Ron DeSantis talking about those carve-outs to Disney and what he feels about them. Now, the legislature can, can certainly reevaluate that as a whole. Uh, but my view is, is you know, we should just treat everybody equally. Uh, we shouldn't let one company have their own set of rules compared to everybody else. So that's the governor essentially saying again that, um, you know, Despite these bills getting signed by him and getting support by the Republican legislature, he's philosophically opposed to it. So now he might do something about that. Uh, Well, that's great. I'm glad he wants to treat everyone equally. Maybe he'll stop all the special breaks that Big Sugar gets uh, in in using water in Lake Okeechobee, which is another bill that's on his desk for him to sign uh, to give them more special uh, special treatment. So if he's in favor of uh, giving everyone an equal treatment, maybe he'll veto that one. So, Craig, we did talk about this a little bit earlier, but let's say the, the, the legislature isn't just bluster. They really want to get rid of this Reedy Creek development uh, exemption here, and they, they actually take it up. What would be some of the things that they should pay attention to, some of the collateral damage, some of the problems that might happen if that, if that is withdrawn? Um, well, I mean, to me, one of the big benefits of doing that is that right now, uh, uh, Disney and the other theme parks don't have to submit to any sort of outside inspections. So uh, whenever there's a someone gets injured on a ride or or so forth, it's up to the theme parks to self-report that. And that's just not that's not just Disney. That's all of the theme parks. So that would be something that they could repeal that would actually be helpful to people. Because it, gosh, it sure would be nice to know which rides and which theme parks are really accident prone and where people can get seriously hurt. Uh, you know the the. Florida Agriculture Department and Department of Consumer Services, they collect these reports. They put out a quarterly uh, report on it, on what they've heard, but it's, it, you know, it's self-reporting. How, how good is that? How accurate is it? There are rarely any details in those reports. Uh, now, if they want to repeal the Reedy Creek Improvement District bill, then, uh, you know, that, then it's up to the county to try to figure out uh, how we're going to integrate that into our county planning and into our transportation planning. And uh, I just don't think they're ready for that. And I hope there's some money that goes with it so that the the Orange County government isn't suddenly stuck with a million dollar project they have to oversee and provide guidance to, and they don't have the, the funding to do it. Well, Craig, those are my only questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave with our listeners before I let you go? Um, well, it's interesting. One, one other thing I would probably say is that, you know, on balance, Disney World 
has done some good things to Florida. Uh, you know, obviously it's the number one tourist destination in the world. And it's a big reason why we have more than 100 million tourists who come here every year. So that's a big part of our economy. And uh, that's one of the reasons why the legislature has pretty much kowtowed to, to whatever Disney wanted up till now. Uh, the other thing I would point out is that Disney uh, is part of a, a group called Associated Industries, along with the sugar companies and with HCA and uh, uh, Florida Power and Light. And they call themselves the voice of Florida business. Uh, but as a, a reporter named Jason Garcia pointed out recently, uh, it's really the voice of those six Florida businesses. Uh, so uh, anybody who, any politician who claims they're not going to take any Disney money from now on, they better reject any contributions from associated industries as well. Because uh, so, that's, that's Disney money too. Uh, Disney could be doing a lot more with its influence in Florida. It could be doing a lot more positive stuff rather than stuff that just benefits the company. Uh, and I think that was why the company was sort of reluctant to take any action on Don't Say Gay until it, are, it was already on the governor's desk and they were pushed to do it by their employees. Um, you know, it, it, it's actually sort of, Disney's sort of the act, actually the opposite of woke. It's just in, interested in making money like most corporations are and is not into improving, you know, society. If it did, there'd be paying. They'd be paying a lot more money, and uh, there wouldn't be nearly as many homeless people around celebration. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe today, Craig. My pleasure. Craig Pittman used to write for the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. Some of his books are "The State You're In," "Cattail." Oh, Florida and the scent of scandal. We're going to post a link to the audio and video of this full interview on our website, WMNF.org. We're going to be right back in about a minute or two after we listen to a little bit of Bob Marley. And we'll talk about how guns that are purchased in Florida are finding their way to do violence around the Caribbean. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM, WMNF.org. Bob Marley and the Whalers. 
You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM, WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan. This is Tuesday Cafe, and I hope you enjoyed my interview with Craig Pittman about Walt Disney World and the history of Disney and how that connects to today and the the uh, talk by some lawmakers that want to repeal some of the special exemptions that Disney gets. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. And if you missed any of that, I will put the audio and video of that uh, interview up on our website, WMNF.org, early this afternoon. Well, I want to bring you a story about guns that's uh, been not very much reported on, but is very important. And then we'll take your phone calls after that and your emails. So uh, go ahead and email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885 if you have anything to say about Disney or about the legislators and governor who are trying to carve out the exempt, remove the exemptions that is for Disney. You can also call us at 813-239-9663. But let's listen to this story out of South Florida about guns. In recent weeks, hundreds of Haitian migrants have arrived by boat in the Florida Keys. Reporter Tim Padgett says they're fleeing violence from illegal guns that are easily purchased in Florida and smuggled to Haiti. Let's hear that story from Tim Padgett right now. Almost all of them tell U.S. officials they're coming to escape the armed terror back in Haiti that's led by this man, Jimmy Cherizier, known as Barbecue. Cherizier heads a federation of violent gangs that now control much of Haiti and its capital, Port-au-Prince. In this video, he taunts Haiti's prime minister, telling him to step down because Cherizier claims, falsely, that the gangs now speak for Haitians. In the video, Cherizier is holding a semi-automatic rifle. You can't buy guns like that legally in Haiti. They're smuggled in, almost always from the U.S., often from Florida. In recent months, U.S. and Haitian authorities have arrested several alleged smugglers running high-powered guns like AK-47 rifles and 9mm pistols into Haiti. Haitian officials say as many as half a million illegal firearms are in the country now. On September 23rd, my husband was shot, so I'm picking up our daughter. Last fall, Regine Theodat was living in Croix de Bouquet near Port-au-Prince with her husband, Junior Abelard, and their children. He was cornered in a side street by two people that were waiting for him. Those gangsters were waiting for Junior with what was likely a smuggled 9mm handgun. He survived the shooting. Theodat is Haitian-American, and the family has since moved to the Dominican Republic. She spoke to me from there via Skype. Croix du Bouquet is the base of one of Haiti's most powerful gangs, Catrasant Mawasso. Theodat says Haitians are helpless in the face of the firepower that these gangs can rain down on them now. Day in and day out, we would hear like rounds and rounds of bullets from semi-automatic rifles. Just as bad, she says, is how they flaunt it. And there are gang members on WhatsApp sending videos, showing off their weapons and how they got their weapons. The arms smuggling is just very brazen and out of control. In one recent FBI case, U.S. prosecutors indicted a Haitian-American in Florida for shipping high-caliber rifles and pistols to the Catrasant Mawasso gang, hiding them in barrels of clothes. The alleged smuggler boasted on WhatsApp that Haiti's gangs are clever snakes who can slither to get what they need. Guns are being trafficked out of Florida and the U.S., not just to Haiti, but also to the rest of the Caribbean, especially Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. It is legal to own assault weapons in Puerto Rico, but not the U.S. Virgin Islands. Either way, both places are being flooded with guns shipped there illegally. 
the guns are coming in very creative ways from U.S. states like Florida and Texas and Georgia. Alex Nguyen is the research manager at the nonprofit Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence in San Francisco. He's authored a new report on alarming gun violence in U.S. territories like the Virgin Islands. The gun murder rate there is almost nine times higher than in the 50 U.S. states. It has the second highest rate of firearms brought across its borders of any U.S. state or territory. The Giffords report concludes one of the biggest drivers is gun trafficking from U.S. states like Florida, where gun purchasing and ownership laws are relatively lax. In one case, we talk about a couple who goes to Florida and North Carolina, ships themselves these guns just to P.O. boxes in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and then they start selling them around the islands. In Puerto Rico, one person got shipped a gun that was disguised as a baby's birthday gift. The Giffords report points out Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands don't have the resources to block all the U.S. firearms being shipped onto their streets, especially one type Nguyen points to. The rising ghost guns, they can't trace. Ghost guns have had markings like serial numbers removed, making them untraceable. More and more of them are being trafficked from the U.S. to the Caribbean, which is why the Giffords report urges stronger gun registration laws in U.S. states like Florida. Democrat Debbie Mukersell Powell is a former Miami congresswoman and a Giffords Law Center senior advisor. You need to be able to track these weapons. We can't even do that. I think that in South Florida, if people understand what is happening, they are going to demand people in elected office to do something about this. That's especially important, Mukersell Powell says, because the residents of Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands are U.S. citizens. But she adds it's urgent for Haiti and the rest of the Caribbean, too. We need to be serious about making sure that we protect the hemisphere. If not, the U.S. can expect many more migrants coming here to flee gun violence in the hemisphere. I'm Tim Paget in Miami. Well, I just played that that story about guns just because it's something I hadn't heard a lot in other media. And I thought that you should uh, be aware of that issue, that there are guns, a lot of them coming from Florida, that are bought here and shipped to other places in the in the Caribbean. Haiti and other places that where it really is making an impact and making uh, people's lives a lot worse. So that's just something that I'd like you to be aware of. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. This is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. And for the rest of the hour, I'm going to do something uh, kind of kind of off the cuff. Uh, there are several people applying for the uh, Tampa City Council seat that's vacant because John Dingfelder stepped down. And this is actually happening right this minute. And so it's not very often that we get to play live audio, but I thought that just, you know, we're just going to hear a sampling of people. We're obviously not going to hear all the candidates. It looks like we probably won't get to the vote before the top of the hour. I want to let you know that next hour at 11 o'clock, on Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger, their guest will be Stephanie Pointer, who heads the Tampa's Citywide Neighborhood Association, THAN. They'll talk about what's happening at Tampa City Council today, including what's happening today with the selection of a new council member. So um, here is, just as a public service, I want you to be able to hear what's happening at Tampa City Council. It's the largest city in the region. Maybe not everyone that's listening is a Tampa resident. A lot of you live in Pinellas or other counties, but let's listen in on the process of the vote for uh, the new Tampa City Council member on WMNF Tampa. Right now the clerk is, I think the clerk is gathering votes during this round. And uh, you can hear a little bit of the crowd noise in the background. The clerk has picked up the 
the tabulations from a couple of the Tampa City Council members. Others are filling them in right now, so we'll get an update in just a second. Again, you're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe, and we're going to have news, hopefully news, out of the Tampa City Council where people are handing their folded pieces of paper to the clerks about their vote for who should be the next Tampa City Council member to replace John Dingfelder. It looks like we might get an, an somewhat of an announcement very soon, so that's why I'm keeping you in suspense here and playing this out because Charlie Miranda has just turned in his vote. I believe that was the last one. There should be, there should be I think, six people. Uh, there's only five sitting in, this, in the view right now, but I think all six probably voted. And they're counting them right now. A winner would need four, and if uh, there is no winner, then there would be a, uh, a runoff, another another round of votes. Didn't know it was going to take this long. I apologize, but stand by. We might even have news for you in the next few seconds, so please stand by. And if you would like to make a comment about anything you've heard on today's show, give us a call, 813-239-9663 or WMNF. DJ at WMNF.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. This is WMNF Tampa. Again, for people who are just tuning in, we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on the Tampa City Council. They're tabulating votes right now on who will be the next Tampa City Council member. They'll have to get elected again. Uh, next, next vote, uh, that, that would be the two, um, 2023, April but for the next year, they will be on the Tampa City Council. And I think they're about to announce it. That's why I'm holding you in suspense right now. So please stand by. The voice will be the clerk's voice, I believe, that you'll hear. She's walking up to the podium right now. Any second now, we're going to find out what this round of voting tells us. Tampa City Council. Council, sir, Carlson voted for Amanda Hurtag. Um, Goods also voted for Amanda Hurtag. Citro voted for Amanda Hurtag. Vieira voted for Meredith Freeman. Miranda voted for Miranda, uh, Meredith Freeman. And Maniscalco voted for Amanda Hurtag. And uh, Amanda Hurtag is the winner. So that's a live look in at Tampa City Council right now, April 5th at 1049 in the morning. We have a new Tampa City Council member, Amanda Hurtag. Here's the... Here's the attorney. We are in recess for five minutes. Thank you. The attorney just said that they're going to go into recess for five minutes so that they can come out with a resolution that will codify the the selection of Amanda Hurtag as the new Tampa City Council member who has replaced now Tampa's John Dingfelder. So what do you think about that news? 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. I imagine there'll be some interesting things that come back uh, when they come back from council. I'd like to probably play that for you as well, but they are in a five-minute recess. 
So now's a great time if you'd like to call in and share your thoughts about Amanda Hertag or about the Walt Disney Company and about what you learned earlier in the show from Craig Pittman. 813-239-9663 or dj at wmnf.org. Now's a good time for me to remind you that in about 15 minutes, we're going to have a show called Wavemakers, and that's hosted by Janet and Tom Sherberger. Their guest will be Stephanie Pointer. She heads the Tampa Citywide Neighborhood Association, THAN. They'll talk about what's happening at City Council, including the selection of the new City Council member this morning. So please stay tuned if you uh, want to find out more about Tampa Neighborhood Associations. And you're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. And they are in a break right now at Tampa City Council, which is why I'm stalling for time. But um, I do want to remind people, let me play this promo for upcoming uh, for an upcoming WMNF event. And we'll be right back with you on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. On Saturday, April 30th, WMNF is going purple when doves cry. The WMNF special tribute to the one and only Prince. This is what it sounds like when doves cry. Starring the evening committee, Jeremy Gloff, Rojoma, Siobhan Philidor, and WMNF's own Scott Elliott with Talk to Mark and DJ Senflo. Plus, special Prince lookalike contest. The party takes place Saturday, April 30th, 8 p.m. at New World Brewery, now at the corner of Bush and Nebraska. Tickets are $20 in advance, $25 at the door. Go to WMNF.org for more info about the show and our COVID-19 protocols. WMNF presents a tribute to John Fogarty and Creedence Clearwater Revival at Skipper's Smokehouse Saturday, May 28th. Creedence Clearwater Revival was the biggest band in America. In 1969 and 70, they outsold the Beatles. Now you can relive the music. 12 bands will cover 40 songs. For tickets and more info, call 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan. This is Tuesday Cafe, and we're taking your calls right now about Amanda Hertag, the new Tampa City Council member. Also, about what you thought about earlier in the show, we talked with Craig Pittman, who is referring to the scandal that is kind of going on right now between the city of, sorry, the uh, state of Florida and Disney. There's a lot of controversy because Governor Ron DeSantis is saying that we should take away some of Disney's exemptions, or exceptions, that is, some special rules for Disney in the Florida legislature. Here's what Ron DeSantis had to say. Disney has all these special perks. Should you retaliate against them for them coming out and demagoguing this bill? I don't believe you, quote, retaliate, but I think what I would say is as a matter of first principle, I don't support special privileges in law that they view their programming as a way to inject a lot of these topics into programming for very young kids. And I think I can tell you, as a parent of young kids, that is not what I want to be seeing, um, them talking about pushing an agenda, an ideological agenda. 
report. Now, the legislature can, can certainly reevaluate that as a whole. Uh, but my view is, is you know, we should just treat everybody equally. Uh, we shouldn't let one company have their own set of rules compared to everybody else. Well, those are some of the things that Governor Ron DeSantis is saying about uh, about the Disney company and about rules that set aside Disney from other companies. Well, we're joined now on the phone by Jeannie in Odessa. Hi, Jeannie. What's on your mind? Hi. I just wanted to congratulate Amanda Hertag for her new election on the city council. I can't really speak to the Disney topic right now other than to what I've just heard you say. Um, I didn't hear the beginning of the show. However, uh, they give lots of benefits to developers all over the city, the county, the state, everywhere. And so um, I've not really ever heard of retaliation um, for their political points of view necessarily. So um, I think our governor is way out there on that, on, on going after Disney. I have a feeling that that'll backfire because I don't, I think Disney should be able to defend themselves, but it's, it's uh, really kind of unheard of, uncharted territory as far as I can tell. Um, but as far as the city council goes, I hope that they are able to um, help neighborhoods and continue to make the right decisions. John Dingfelder was a real champion for neighborhoods, and that um, was his undoing, as, as it seems. Um, and John Dingfelder did really good work. I worked with John Dingfelder on the historic Hyde Park Neighborhood Association um, preservation issues, and he was a friend to neighborhoods, and he worked hard to do the right thing. So um, I uh, held him in high esteem and hold him in high esteem, and I hope that um, that his replacement will be just as um, serious about helping neighborhoods and standing up for quality of life issues as opposed to just bottom line um, development issues. All right. Thank you so much for calling in, Jeannie. And just for full disclosure, we should point out this is uh, Jeannie Holton with the, the host of the Florida the, the folk show that's on Sunday morning. What's the name of the show? How do you know? <laughs> it's the Acoustic Peace Club on noon on Sundays. And thank you, John, for saying that. All right. Thanks for calling in, Jeannie. If you'd like okay. to join our conversation, it's 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at WMNF. Dot org. You can text us at 813-433-0885. And again, just a few minutes ago, we heard the announcement that Amanda Lynn Hertak was selected by the remaining Tampa City Council members to fill the vacant seat on Tampa City Council for the next year that was vacated by John Dingfelder stepping down. Here's what uh, Florida Politics writes about Amanda Lynn Hertak. She spent a lot of time in Tampa City government. She was on the Charter Review Commission. She serves on the Variance Review Board. She's also a League of Women Voters member and served on the old Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association where she's been land use chair, president, and is currently vice president. And the it's interesting that you heard some votes came in for Meredith Freeman. And Freeman was considered Mayor Jane Castor's top choice. So it's very interesting that city council... Uh, you know, if there's not too much to be read into this, that Tampa City Council is pushing back more against the mayor by not selecting her top choice. Freeman was a real estate lawyer with Schutz and Bowen. She also chairs the board of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. 
And she's not very publicly known, but she uh, is a talked about and revered lawyer in Tampa's legal community. This is, I'm reading from Florida Politics right now. So again, if you missed the news, just moments ago, we heard the announcement that Amanda Lynn Hertak has been selected as Tampa City Council uh, to fill the, the gap, to fill the seat that was vacated by John Dingfelder. Well, let's go. We have a couple of seconds left. We can go to David in Valrico. Hi, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, you know, I, I, I think it's very surprising that Dr. Uh, Governor DeSantis is um, using Trump's uh, playbook uh, to uh, diss people that don't uh, currently agree with him. Um, and uh, this is a very dangerous president that, that governors and presidents should not take. Um, you know, uh, I don't like name-calling, and whenever I hear that term woke, uh, that's just a way to eliminate any kind of debate uh, and just say, well, those are, those are, the, those are the, the woke whatever uh, people. Um, but um, clearly, Governor DeSantis doesn't have any problem creating laws that uh, apply to his political then, uh, uh, agenda, but criticizes Walt Disney for viewing their views on laws that he's passing. That's what I have to say. All right, David, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for calling in. And you've been listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. And I want to thank my guest, Craig Pittman. And I want to thank Frank Knox for answering phones during the show today. You have been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. This show comes on every Tuesday morning at 10. And if you like the programming here on 88.5 FM, please considering consider donating at wmnf.org in this time slot tomorrow shelly will host midpoint well coming up next after the npr news headlines we have wave makers with janet and tom sherberger their guest will be stephanie pointer who heads the citywide neighborhood association than in tampa they'll talk about what's happening at tampa city council including this election this morning of a new city council member amanda lynn hertak So that's all coming up after NPR News headlines. And I want to remind you that if you missed any of today's show, the full audio and the video will be on our website, wmnf.org, later this afternoon. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening. Yo, this is George Dr. Fucking Stein Clinton, and you're listening to WMNF. F. Tampa.